tools for living, room to grow, a space of grace to become everything God wants us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver, episode 41. It seems like everywhere I look, I see people in books talking about the importance of dreaming big dreams for Jesus. And I I think I understand where they're coming from. But what do we do when God's entrusted a smaller realm of influence to us? And how do we navigate the disappointment between the big dreams we dream and the not-so-big lives we lead? More importantly, how do we keep God dreams from becoming idols in our hearts? Well, I really appreciated the chance to talk to Tracy Mitchell. She was so kind to let me just direct the conversation to these questions and some others as I am trying to navigate how to steward God's call on my life. Her book, Becoming Brave, isn't just about having bravery to do big things for Jesus, but how to be strong and courageous in every area of our lives. Well, I am so glad to have Tracy Mitchell with me. She's my dear new friend who has uh, met me with so much grace, and you'll hear a little bit more about that later. But Tracy is the author of Becoming Brave, How to Think Big, Dream Wildly, and Live Fear Free, as well as the book Downside Up, and the new book, uh, also a devotional called The Invitation. And so, Tracy, thank you so much for being with me. Oh, it's an honor to be with you today. I'm so excited. <laughs> well, True Confessional, this is our second interview. And uh, I had the chance to talk to Tracy way back in September when I started recording interviews for 2020. And, you know, I uh, loved the wisdom she shared. But as I went back and listened to it, you guys, <laughs> I discovered that I was quite a mess. I was quite a mess. I, you know, I don't know if you ever have those areas in your life where you've got super strong opinions about something. And so you you try to be open for discussion about things, but then all of your bias comes up and there you are showing up in a way that you realize is not God honoring or or other honoring. And so I had to call my sweet friend. And I love that I get to call her that because it's gone beyond my guest. She's my friend. And I had to say, oh, Tracy, 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 dear Tracy, please forgive me. And would you please come back and interview again? So thank you for being with me today. Oh, I'm excited for what the Lord has for us today. Yes. Yeah. You know, in this time that we are find ourselves in, um, we're recording in June 2020 and kind of still navigating the COVID-19 and also a lot of racial tension. And And we were discussing before we went on just how polarized we are becoming in our opinions. And the Lord has just been dealing with me about some areas in my life. And so I've been saying, God, search me, you know, please show me my heart. Uh, are there any hidden sins? Um, are there any wicked ways? And he has been revealing some stuff. And I, you know, sometimes I think we ask that, but we really, we're just thinking, God, no, you're perfect. You have nothing that I want to deal with. <laughs> right, right. 
but he did put a finger on just some biases that I have had. And, you know, gratefully, I don't feel like they're racial biases, but they are definitely biases in my heart where I've got a super strong opinion about something and it makes me unable to just have a reasonable conversation. And one of those was about dreaming wild dreams for God. And so when I had, when your book came across, I, you know, I was like another dream book. (laughs) And unfortunately you were my first dream interview. And you know, the sad thing is, is that that's not your entire book. In fact, your whole book is about becoming brave. Can you just talk about how it came about? You know, it was interesting because um, becoming brave, and I love how you just flat said that, hey, another dream book. I can't tell you the number of times that I've reached for books on shelves or people have sent me books to endorse. And I'm thinking that same thought myself, oh my gosh, not another one of those. And um, so becoming brave, even though it deals with living out the dreams that God gives us, Really, the crux of the book is learning how to live brave every single day. I don't think brave is is this you know mantra or this tag that we wear, and you know all of a sudden we wake up one day and we go from being average to superhuman. No, it's the daily steps and and so the story behind becoming brave, and I can tell it in about thirty seconds is when they approached me, my publisher about writing becoming brave. Um, that thought was in my heart and in my head, but I really thought I had a handle on what it was like to live this brave and authentic life. Well, the moment that I sat down, literally the week I sat down to write the book, we had five tragedies in 28 days. Now, when I say tragedies, I'm not talking about the flu, not talking about a flat tire, but we had five unthinkable tragedies that went back to back Mm -hmm. in 28 days. As a matter of fact, I remember sitting on my back porch and again, I'm sitting down to write this book. And at the same time, another book called The Invitation. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching my husband whose leg had been just obliterated in an accident. We weren't sure if he was going to be able to keep his leg or not. I'm sitting on the back porch watching him and the baby monitor. And then our newborn granddaughter, he was upstairs in the other baby monitor. And um, she wasn't born without some issues. And so, you know, even her arrival was a little bit tragic. And so I'm sitting there not knowing that I would have five back-to-back tragedies in 28 days while I was writing this book out. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting that tragedy doesn't take appointments. <laughs> it doesn't schedule. <laughs> they yes. just slam into our lives. So so when you put that together with this message of brave, did that automatically happen or was that? Oh, man. I really had to go deep. I'm not kidding you. I had to evaluate my own ideals of what becoming brave was really all about. Was I as brave as what I imagined? I had to dethrone some lofty images I had of other women who I really thought were just, you know, brave and larger than life. And I had to take a step back and say, hey, is this really God's definition of what becoming brave is? When I flip back through scripture and when I, when, I, when I read how God defines the role of women and what he considers brave, is that really, if I put out my life and put those other women that I've held in that lofty esteem side by side, did those things pair up? 
And so that was just a gut-wrenching place, honestly, that I was when I, I had the book going in one direction. But when I lived out those 28 days, by the time I was through, I mean, I had literally rewritten every page of that book. Wow. Wow. I know that's kind of, in fact, that's a little bit of where I was at, Tracy. I think after um, our discussion, probably, it was probably about two or three months later, I started writing um, my chapter in my book for trust on trusting God, living beyond your dreams. And as you can already even hear in that, there's a... <laughs> There is a bias because, you know, my dreams had almost destroyed my marriage, had almost, you know, destroyed me because I had this, you know, here's my life and here's what I thought my life was going to be. And I couldn't navigate the dissonance. And so I just shut down dreams altogether. And I can't help but think that there's some women out there, especially as we're navigating this new normal, um, jobs have been lost livelihoods have been lost, trajectories of life have been drastically altered. And it's awesome to be brave when you're going for big dreams, but how to navigate difficult tragedies. What's some advice you'd give to those women out there that are really walking through some tough stuff right now? Yeah. And if it's okay, I'd love to add on a biblical analogy to that too, as I answer this question. Um, but I, I find that it's women, we have to learn to be fruitful in what appears to be unfruitful seasons. Yeah. And immediately when I think of women who had big dreams, but they weren't realized yet, <laughs> that's the imperative word yet, was um, Hannah. You know, I, you know, it, it was funny when you retrace, finger trace Hannah's life back to the beginning, you can imagine her sitting there. All she wanted was this one child. You know, she didn't, she wasn't asking for 10. She was just asking for her barren womb to be fruitful and to carry a child. And I, um, when I was reading back through her story just this last week, I, re I envisioned her sitting there rocking back and forth with tears dripping off her face and hitting the cold marble floor. And of all things, she had a priest who was mocking her prayers, who was mocking her intercession. And he had no idea that the woman he was mocking her prayers was the actually one, the one that God had chosen to carry the son that would assist him. And so often we think, you know, we're in this unfruitful season. Can we actually conceive or carry or even deliver the thing that we feel that God has called us to, to carry and deliver? And I was reminded that um, that all, almost all prophetic children in the Bible came from barren wombs. To me, that's such a big aha moment. All these prophetic sons, Sean the Baptist, Samuel, Samson, and it was not that God was withholding something from the woman, but he was reserving something that was larger than what she could imagine for an appointed season. And so often we get lost in this idea of dreams because we want them now. <laughs> yeah. We want them today. You know, we see others birthing dreams around us and we feel swept away or left behind or lost. and. And we struggle to keep up when all of the while God is saying, if you would just be patient, what I have for you is not average, but has a divine seal on it. And in the right season, those things will materialize. 
Wow. That, that is so good. You know, the timing of the Lord is so exquisite, but it rarely coincides <laughs> with, you know, the timestamps that I provided. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, wow. So as you're there and you've got these five tragedies that have just slammed into your life, what were some of the things that you held on to? You know, um, I often tell those that I mentor, you know, I tell them what's in you in a moment of stress will always come out. And it wasn't, I wasn't even able to process. I mean, you can't even catch your breath in those moments. You know, you're just winded from the journey. And I remember, you know, I thought that if anyone would have told me that these five tragedies were going to happen, that I would have been well prepared, that I would have had enough hours in my prayer chair, that I would have sown enough seeds ahead of time, that I would have been just all ready in the moment. But the truth was, I just, I had to, to stop and I had to allow everything um, that I knew to be true about God. I had to just be steadfastly quiet and Mm -hmm. resolute and knowing that everything that I had preached about before, everything I had spoken, everything I had shared, every prayer that I uttered was actually true. As a matter of fact, I got up, I had to get up the next morning after my husband's accident and I had to go speak to a woman, to a group of women across town. And so I asked our daughters, could you come stay with your dad? He told me he needed me to go and to speak. You know, our life was at this, this universal standstill suddenly. And I remember walking in and having to speak to those women for an hour. And I spoke to them. And afterwards, I began to pray for their dreams as if they were my dreams. I prayed for their Mm -hmm. families as if their families were the one who were in the middle of calamity and perplexity. And I poured out that morning um, the reservoir of what I had stowed away for myself with the firm belief that if God could use me to bring healing to someone else, that God would in turn bring healing to my family. Wow. And so it's kind of by blind faith. Yes. Mm. You know, I think that that's part of our, my issue anyway, is I can get so fixated on my pain that um, everything's inward. And I, my husband, I know there have been times where he's just even said, honey, I think we need to go visit someone. We need to go serve someone else. We need to get outside of our own stuff so, so that we can get unstuck. Wow. So when you think of that girl out there who is navigating a new normal, you know, I think sometimes we look at, at least I have looked at it as an interruption, like, oh my goodness, God's will for my life has been interrupted. Oh dear. You know, thinking like God's up there worried about it as well, you know, not realizing that it's actually a vehicle to get me where he wants me to be. How do we make room for that when what we want and what we think should happen doesn't happen? Yeah, that's a good question. That's one I'm still trying um, to navigate through. Um, Just this week, I was on a Zoom call talking to leaders, and I used this analogy, which will, in fact, answer your question. Um, I used the analogy of our little two, now three-year-old granddaughter, that when her dad upgraded his iPhone, he upgraded to the new iPhone 11, um, that all of a sudden when he didn't have that little button to change apps at the bottom of the phone, that yes. our granddaughter kept bringing her phone to her dad going, it's broken, it's broken, it's broken. And he said, no, you know, he tried to explain, if you can imagine, to a, to a three-year-old 
you know, oh no, it's a new operating system. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. technology's changed, it's developed. This, this is a, it's not broken. We've simply changed how things are going to be done. And so, of course, you know, our three year old mind, probably like many of us in this season, couldn't wrap her mind fully around how that new operating system was going to work. And so her father would begin to take the phone in his hand and he would begin to show her step by step over and over again. Here's what you do, baby. No, there's not a button at the bottom anymore, but here's how you get to the place that you want to go. And it took two or three weeks And finally, she quit coming to him, telling him his phone was broken (laughs) and that she actually understood how to navigate. And in much of the same way, I think many of us, and I'm going to put myself in this category as well. Many of us in the last few months have gone to God saying, this is broken. (laughs) You know, this is not working anymore. And it's certainly not working like it used to work. And he being that patient father in the same way is going, no, baby, it's it's not the same. This is not the same order. Mm-hmm. This is not the same old season. But he methodically, if we lean in and listen, he will walk us through the steps and show us how to get out of brokenness and maybe even function in what many would consider to be a new upgrade. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that that's part of, as you wrote in your book, the thinking big? Is is that part of learning to think big is to think out of our paradigms, to be willing to be shifted and, and to pivot? Yeah, when I, when I read back through, you know, you, we don't bring our dreams to God and say, okay, God, here's my big dream. I want you to do whatever it takes, move heaven and earth to bless my dream. Every dream that was really given by the Father actually came to pass. And I I think the thing that we have to do, it's so critical, is to make sure the dreams that we're praying over, the dreams that we're trying to make happen and work, are not dreams that came out of our being, but were actually dreams, if you will, that heaven sends. Mm. And so we have to be able to just to squarely, you know, and I've had to do that so much in my life, just get gut level honest with myself. Did I imagine this? Is this what I wanted mm. for my life? Is this what I've imagined? Or is this really what God has sent? Yeah. And so becoming brave helps us unwrap um, and help us to see the difference between the two. Yeah. Well, and I love you start the whole book with the story of your friend who had cancer and definitely, I'm sure not the dream for her life. Definitely, you know, probably felt like it limited her, but she found a new way of living in the middle of it. And I wonder sometimes, you know, when things happen, when tragedy and trial hit our life and we're trying to push it away, if perhaps our calling and the dream God has for us might be wrapped up in the trouble itself. But how do we discern that? How do we get to that place where we can flourish even when we're in the middle of unimaginable difficulties? Yeah, I think that's something that only God can unwrap in us. And I think it's almost de-unlayering the built-up walls that we have um, 
and resistance we have of pain. You know, we live in a culture and society now that they believe that we should have no crucible moments in our lives, Mm -hmm. that we should live in prosperity minus pain. And while I understand that God does want the best for his daughter's lives, I don't discount that at all. But he also uses those moments of us just being totally stripped down. If you can imagine, I guess, the metaphor of of having an acapella singer just begin to sing and how beautiful that is, minus everything else, the pillars that go around that voice. And so many times God will do the same thing in our lives. He will strip us down until it's just that a truly authentic raw state. And we, we lean and we begin to hear him. And it's then that we can begin to follow him because we cannot hear him when we are, our minds are constantly cluttered. When we give voice to everything else that's going on around us. And it literally does polarize our thinking. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So true. That's the thing I've been trying to do is, is just invite God into the equation, you know, that no matter what's touching my life, that God is already there and that it's passed through his hand and it's going to be okay, but I've got to lean in. And, and I think even be willing to let go of what was in order to accept what he might have for right now. How do, how, you know, one of the, one of the things that you touch so beautifully in the book is how to live fearless. How does that play in to becoming brave? I think the root of all fear is based in shame. Yeah, I really do. Or I think a large part of it is just rooted in shame and we will never be able to live fear-free lives until we address the issue of shame. You know, we have, this is not a season where we can wrap ourselves in sheets of shame. We don't have that luxury. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I love when I, when I wrote the book, I put the, the tagline, if you will, on there, how to think big, dream wildly, live fear-free. And I put it in that sequential order. Because most of the books that I've read have said, hey, get rid of fear first. Then you will be able to, you know, think big, have, you know, audacious dreams, that kind of philosophy. But I found that when we really get our mind in tune with what God is is saying, what he's asking us to do, that when we begin to have those dreams and we begin to think in a different way or a different realm, that all of a sudden, because we're courageous enough to step into that line of thinking, that we begin to eradicate fears just through our simple acts of obedience. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, in our, our last interview, we did talk a lot about Joseph and stewarding a dream. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think so many times, especially in today's culture, and I would kind of like to swing back because like I told you, God's been revealing some biases in my heart and, and so after <laughs> listening to my response, you I, here's the thing. I just have to say, Tracy, you are the most gracious woman I've ever <laughs> I've ever met because I was so biased and I came to it. I was just I'm just embarrassed how biased I was. And yet you were just so gracious and you just kept just going wherever I, I wanted to go and talking about the biblical foundation of dreams. And that's why I appreciate you because it's not just, no, dreams are the main thing. Your heart is, no, God is the main thing. And I just wonder, I, you know, I think the thing I worry about, about this whole dream big movement 
is I've looked at scripture and it doesn't, I don't see that God gives everybody a big dream there there. And that can sometimes be hard because it feels like maybe he's playing favorites. But I think of that woman out there who says, I just really want to be the best mom I can be. Or, or that woman, I, I just feel called to love little kids in the church nursery. You know, and we have uh, we have this uh, hierarchy of dreams in the world that sometimes gets transferred to the church. Anyway, I don't I don't even know what to ask, but I'd love to have perspective mm-hmm. because I know I come from a place where I, in fact, as I'm I'm writing this chapter and I am struggling, Tracy, I cannot get it out, and God just put His finger in my heart and he goes, "You are prejudiced against dreaming." Wow. You got a bias and it's holding you back. Yes, I needed to temper that dreaming early on in your life, but you've so shut down that part of you, you're not willing to even be open to a dream that I might want to give you for fear of being disappointed. Mm-hmm. So how how do we navigate that? Can you help me understand dreams? <laughs> I just, I love number one, how honest you are, because truthfully, I think we've all been where we've had a shattered dream and we've all had those, or they've been misplaced. Um, you know, we just have a tendency to, to shut, like you said, everything down. I don't dare dream again because of, of the liability that comes with it, the risk factor alone um, that comes with dreaming. And as you mentioned, I often pull from Joseph because if anyone had a reason, as you would say, to be biased against dreaming, it would be Joseph. I mean, the moment the boy started dreaming, his family absolutely deserted him. I mean, you know, talk about being exiled from your family. His dream made him be falsely accused. He was in prison. I believe it was 14 years for being a dreamer. And what I so honor about Joseph was that even while he was in the prison, even though he didn't see his dreams coming through, the only thing that got him out of the prison, that released him from captivity, was his willingness to make someone else's dream around him come true. Mm -hmm. And so many times I've looked in the mirror of my own life and I'm going, but XYZ dream is not coming true in my life. You know, it's as if we're never satisfied. If we can just be real, you know, I could have 35 books, but if one of those is not a number one bestseller, then I feel defeated. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a point at some place that if we have that propensity that we are never satisfied, no matter what territory that God gives us, we gives us a building, we want a bigger one, or we want a newer one. That's that American mentality that has fallen into the church that says everything in life has to constantly be upgraded and growing for me to be in the center of God's will. And that is total fallacy. It is total fallacy. Joseph sat in the prison of all places, yeah. but he was willing to open that little place in his heart and say, you know what? My dream isn't coming true today, but it doesn't mean I'm not a dreamer. It doesn't mean that my dream that God has given me won't come true. It just simply means that today's not my day. Today is someone else's day. And because he was willing to make, uh, it was a cupbearer or someone in the king's office, that he made that dream come true. Yeah, the baker. The baker and the cupbearer. Two years later, they came back. 
And it was his ability to interpret dreams, not just live them out, but to make them understandable for others that made him second command of a nation that he wasn't even a citizen of. Yeah. And that's big to me. Oh, it's huge. The thing I love so much about Joseph is you look at it and talk about opportunities for bitterness and unforgiveness. I mean, he's betrayed by his brothers, stripped of the coat, sold into slavery. He could have spent the rest of his life huddled in, in, you know, in Potiphar's house going, yeah, I'm only going to do the minimum because because I deserve more than this. But the Bible says that he prospered. The Lord was with him. And I think so often we we have, you know, like I think that that point A, that is that is where God's purposes for my life will be fulfilled, not knowing that it's the twisting, winding path that gets me there, that all of it is God's will. But can I prosper there? And I, I think right. that there's some girls out there listening that, you know, <laughs> I, one of the reasons why I came in biased against dreams, but also just a little bit flustered was I, um, I had been part of hosting a big conference. We, and I felt like God had given me this number that I was supposed to believe for 400, maybe even 600, but I thought that was pushing it. So I pulled it back to just 400 women. And oh, mm-hmm. Tracy, I was, I just really wanted to grow in faith. And I did feel like that was God, you know, prayed for his presence, prayed for his blessing, prayed for that number, needed a certain number to break even. And we, we only had like 260. And the thing that was so sad was I allowed that number, like you were saying, the size or the big, Mm -hmm. bigger, the better. I allowed it to completely obliterate the fact that God's presence was so rich that wow. that there was such a beautiful unity in uh, the volunteers we had so many volunteers and it was this wonderful beautiful event but because i didn't have the numbers and because i didn't make my budget it felt like what did i do wrong where did i miss it and i and for me that was like it that's where it, it's scary to dream big it's scary to think big tracy yes it's scary to dream big because what if it doesn't happen? What do you say? Yes. And then, and, and I'll, I'll tell you this. This was the aha moment for me in that. And I never will forget it. God, be, I, I was wrestling with the same type of round robin thinking. What if it doesn't? Here's the risk. Weighing it all out and trying to be logical and creative and all of those things. And the Lord said, look, what I'm giving you is an opportunity. You have the ability and the choice. I've given you the decision to ability to decide. You make this choice, but this is my will. And if you don't want to be a part of it, I'll give this dream to somebody who will carry it. Hmm. And that just stung, you know, I, he, and so he let me imagine, he said, if you're not in the position to where emotionally you want to take this on, he said, no problem. I'll, I'll literally hand it off to someone else. And there was nothing more frightening <laughs> than to know that I would get to heaven and there beside the assignments that God had for me, that he had penciled through them and written someone else's name beside them. Hmm. And that's just the way that he talked to me. And so that gave me enough wherewithal to override my fear 
and to really say, okay, if this is you, don't give my dream to someone else. It may not succeed the first time. I may like be like Joseph. I may be put in a pit. I may be falsely yeah. accused. There may be a lot of things, but don't give my position to someone else. I don't covet anyone else's position, but don't give mine to someone else simply because I was fearful. And so there again, we, t- we unpack those things in Becoming Brave, how not to let fear override the plan and purpose of God for our lives. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think for me, I, you know, it's like, oh, Lord, I want to be a woman of great faith. I want to believe you for more, but I also want to trust you with the results. And I think that's kind of where I've just had to land. I'll be obedient, but the results are up to you. I can't make things happen, but I can do what you ask. And so that's really helped me in my journey of going, okay, I can do that. I I can be obedient. You know, I think there's just such a pressure at times that we we feel that our faith or our lack of faith is the reason for the results that we experience. And you know, you mentioned that in in a lot of Christian culture, you know, there's no room for suffering. There's there's no room for being small in in today's, you know, culture. And yet Jesus says, you know, the last shall be first. It's those people who are operating and serving in the unseen, unknown places that they're going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. And so can I be faithful with the realm that God has entrusted to me? I I don't know. I'm just, I'm trying to, trying to come to that balanced place where I'm willing to dream, but I'm not willing to lose my joy when my dream doesn't come true. Yes. You know, and that's what you said is so powerful. I was reading a tweet. It was maybe a year or so ago, but it really lodged in my heart. And uh, I forget exactly. I can't quote it verbatim, but the juxt of the text was he had said, I never doubted my ability to make things happen, but I never weighed out the cost of joy in exchange for those achievements. And so I really gave mind to that. It's not that we, most of us can achieve the things we dream, but at what cost for our peace, our joy, our marriage, our children, things that we hold much more dear. And so we have to say, okay, what is this insecurity in me? You know, really, I ask myself that all the time. Is there any insecurity in me? that that makes me want to give all my all to a specific task or achievement or accomplishment when really the things that I love most are sitting squarely in front of me. Mm-hmm. That's so good. That's so good. Yeah. Well, I think that that's a thing that worries me honestly about our dream big culture is it feels it just I guess this is one of the things I've really been asking the Lord. Is it <laughs> I'm like, okay God, Am I the only one who struggles with wrong motives in this whole thing? You know, that selfish ambition and that vain conceit uh, that needs the spotlight, that needs the success in order to feel good about myself. And, you know, so I'm like, maybe, maybe there are other people who really don't struggle with that. But I do wonder if all of us on some level don't have to bring it back to the Lord and say, what really is motivating me in this? Mm-hmm. Is this really for your glory or has my flesh wrapped up around it? How have you navigated that? I mean, God has entrusted you with some really 
big, big things and, and realms of influence that are significant? How have you managed those motives that sometimes aren't, <laughs> they're not coming from the spirit of God, from our flesh? You know, it, it gets easier the older you get, I think. <laughs> I'm trying uh, to uh, really, because of some hard knocks. You know, they, when I first started out, you know, everything was about results. You know, how many did we have? What happened? Mm -hmm. You know, how much did we raise? How, all of those things. And um, with enough emotional fallouts, it was almost like a postpartum, if you will, um, yeah. from birthing things that we say they were of God, but they were really of flesh that I had to just learn to square up and then um, start taking inventory of what God did. And so we would have, for instance, at our women's conference, all the video testimonials, everything we did were what did God do for you? Not mm. what did the speaker say that impacted you? Yes. What did God do in your heart? Not the top three influencers that you met, but how were the words that were spoken influential in your relationship with God. And so making sure that the end result really mirrored and paired up with what the original intent was. Was yeah. God glorified in this situation or were the people on the platform glorified in this situation? You know, was the business deal really all about God or is it really all about marketing and knowing, am I crafting these words because I'm writing about being brave in a place of brokenness, right? Or am I writing about being brave because it's the new hot, you know, buzzword or hashtag word? So really, like you said, going back, what are the motives? And really the only people that know that are you and God. That's right. That's right. You know, and so getting alone with him and saying, you flay me open, literally, you mm. know, open me up and show me. Because every time I walked away from something that even had, you know, 50% flesh in it, I walked away empty. I was tired. Yeah. I was critical. I was a lot of things at the end of it. When God, when my true motives aligned with Christ, I left energized. I left resourceful. I left blessed. And just knowing that now, like, how do mm. I want to come out of this? If my motives are right, it will <laughs> yeah. turn out right. If not, it's not going to fare well for me, you know, period. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Well, you know, and I, there, some people who are familiar with my writing would say, you know, Joanna, you have had success. God blessed my first book and it sold a million copies, but it was so apart from wow. me, Tracy. Like literally mm. I did nothing to make that happen. My publisher did nothing to ha make it happen. And every time I start walking in the arm of the flesh, the Lord, I just feel him almost just step back with a smile and say, knock yourself out, honey. You know, if yes. you want to make this happen in your strength, go ahead and give it your best shot. Mm. But if you like, I would, I'm more than willing to partner with you. And if you're willing, I'll even take the lead. And I guess that's where I'm like, I don't want, I feel like, yes, I've had a bias against dreaming and yes, it, God is dealing with it. But at the same time, I think he just wants to purify it. It's not, yes. it's not just to throw all caution to the wind, to never be concerned about why am I doing the things I'm doing, but not letting that fear, that almost that, that false humility, the other side of, you know, pride that, that kind of likes to camouflage itself come up and try to hold me captive. So I love that idea of just 
okay, Lord, I, and you, like you, you know, I'm, I'm finding maybe, in fact, I'd love to have you talk about this, Tracy. How do we, how do we keep the right motives in it? Because boy, it's so sneaky. That flesh can just creep in. Are there any warning signs for you? You know, there, I don't know that there are warning signs, but I'll tell you what has worked for me. And one thing I would say has worked for me is having um, a great spiritual mother and father around me yeah. um, and having a board that weighs out what our true motives are. And so I think accountability, maybe, maybe I'm speaking to that woman today that she doesn't have a board of advisors or, you know, a lot of mentors that speak into her life, but just finding one person who has the spirit of wisdom and discernment in them that can just, and a lot, and you, us being transparent enough and vulnerable and pride stripped enough to let people in a soft way say, okay, now, why are we doing this? You know, just that simple phrase. Why are we doing this again? Or if we do that, what is, why, what's the motive behind? What's the outcome that you're expecting? And so just having those voices that gently at times, you know, because if, if you're a type A or a dreamer at all, then it's easy to get personality and just that self-driven will ahead of what God wants to do. And so for me, it just for me, it's just been accountability of letting people that I trust now for decades, just softly speak and be that buffer that reminds me of why we're doing what we're doing. Mm, I love that. I love that. You know, allowing people to speak into our lives. And, and I think even for me, it's been allowing the Lord to discipline me, you know, which brings me back to listening to our interview. And, you know, I had felt so like I'd handled it well. I thought, okay, yeah, that was a good interview. And then I went back mm-hmm. and the Lord flayed me. <laughs> you said those words, yeah. let the Lord flay you. And it's mm-hmm. just like, Oh, you know, I almost think that we all need to have a recording going on of a lot of our <laughs> crucial conversations and then play it back and go, okay, what's that tone girl? Because, oh my word, I was just so embarrassed as you would say such powerful things. And I would just go, oh yeah. And then over and over, I'd say, well, I think, well, I think, well, I think. And so for me, one of the things I, I have, and I've known this in the past, whenever I'm I feel the need to insert my opinion on every and any (laughs) subject. I could possibly be walking in pride. And, you know, we're, we're going through this time of a lot of dissension in politics, dissension in between races, dissension, even in the body of Christ. And we have lost in some, I feel in some ways, the ability to have reasonable conversations but what if, what if we were more willing to actually take time to hear each other? And that's, mm. you were so gracious about not getting offended when I would steer away into my little agenda, but you went with me and you talked about Jesus there. And I went away feeling so blessed. And after, after the interview, after listening and after God flaying me alive, opening, opening my heart, I thought, oh, 
I want that kind of gracious heart, Lord, that even when I not agree, or maybe when, when a, a conversation's going somewhere that I don't agree, that I don't feel this need to constantly redirect. And I don't know. I just, I just want to honor you, Tracy, because you showed me what it looks like to be a gracious woman not strong arming the conversation. After all, it was your interview. It wasn't mine. It was about your book, not my opinions. And yet you gave me room and you believed the best in me and you didn't take offense. And I'm just so grateful God just, I'm grateful God dealt with me, but I'm just so grateful that you were so gracious even to say, of course, I'd love to talk again. Because that says to me so much more than all of your... Oh, I think you just called me on a good day. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I don't know. No, I really think it was you called me on a good day. <laughs> oh. Well, I want you to know what it did for me. It said more to me about your character and your walk with Jesus than all the list of your many impressive accomplishments. So I thank you. I thank you for letting Jesus have his way, even if it was just one of those good days, because I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> there, there are good days and that happened to be my bad day. But I, I would just love to have you pray over our girls listening because, you know, whether they're, whether they're stewarding, uh, calling, uh, shepherding a dream, uh, giftings that God's put on their life, or, or just being a mama or just being a woman in a culture that is shifting and changing so drastically. And yet each one of us is called to be a reflection of Jesus. Would you pray for us as we close? Yes. Father, we just thank you for every woman of every age and walk of life who's listening today. We just pray that there would be just a supernatural grace on their lives, Lord, that they would think the thoughts that you have for their lives, that according to Jeremiah 29 and 11, that those are good thoughts, thoughts that um, you want to bless our lives as we walk according to your word and according to your principle. And so I just pray that you would calm their hearts, Lord, that they would be able to just tuck themselves away into that quiet space with you, that as they open your word in their journals, that you would just um, speak that clear, concise language that maybe that they and you can only understand that private, personal conversation that you would give them. Um, types and metaphors and analogies and just whisper into their ear things, Lord, that only they and you would understand together. Grace us as women in this generation that we would be slow to speak, Father, yeah. that we would be equal in our grace and our grit, that, Lord, we don't have to sacrifice one on the altar for the other, that we can be brave and we can be humble all at the same time. Mm. And so, Lord, help us walk that delicate balance of being submitted and being dreamers and to being the combination of everything that makes women the beautiful tapestry and montage that you created us to be and we thank you for that supernatural grace today in jesus name amen amen i thank you so so much for being with us tracy thank you for having me today i so appreciate tracy's heart 
God really used our conversation to challenge some biases I've had against dreaming and even some disappointments that I've really struggled to navigate. You know, sometimes I can be so afraid of failing or falling short that I choose not to dream at all. But I really believe God has a plan for each of our lives. And while the world might not think it's significant, God certainly does. You can find links to Tracy's books over at joannaweaverbooks.com forward slash 041. And I'd love to hear what you think about this episode. You can leave a comment there at the blog, or you can go to Facebook or Instagram, type in at Joanna Weaver Books and find the link in the post about this episode. And hey, while you're there, please, please consider hitting follow. It means a lot to have you join me on the online social media platforms. You'll find inspiring graphics as well as a weekly Facebook Live called One Thing Monday that I also upload to Instagram. Well, until next time, sweet friend, I I just want to remind you, God does have a plan for your life. And it could be big, but it also may be little. But it's all important to His heart and to His kingdom. He wants to help us to be brave so that we can become everything He intends us to be, living and loving and leading like Jesus.